0: read a story of a guy who many years ago was, was bitten by a dog. And it was later, uh, they found out that this dog had rabies. And this was back in the time when, when there was no cure for rabies. That when uh, you got rabies, that was sort of the end of it. It, was, it, it caused your death. So this man was rushed to the hospital after they found out the dog had had rabies, and he was tested. And sometime later, doctors found out that he had tested positive for rabies. And so the doctor had the responsibility of going in and telling this man that he had contracted rabies and that he would soon die. So the doctor goes in and tells the man, I've got some really bad news. You have rabies, and there is no hope. You're going to die. The man sinks back into his bed, and he begins to weep, knowing that he is soon going to die. After a little bit, he composes himself, and he asks the doctor for paper and a pencil. So the doctor goes and gets him paper and pencil, and, and the man begins to feverishly write, stuff down. And and sometime later the doctor comes in and says, I'm glad to see that that you're putting together your will, that you're making plans for uh, the end of your life. And the man says, Doc, this ain't no will. I'm writing down all the people I want to bite before I die. This man had an unforgiving spirit. And this morning we're going to learn about a parable of a man who had an unforgiving spirit, the parable of of the unmerciful servant. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And here in Matthew, Jesus is is instructing the disciples on, on how to deal with confrontation within the church. When someone has offended you, this is how you're supposed to do it. And he, he begins that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And he says, if someone has sinned against you or someone has offended you, you're supposed to go to them. Tell them their sin, show them. And if they don't listen, take two or three more people. And if they don't listen, tell the whole church. So at the end of this conversation, of this teaching with, that Jesus had with the disciples Peter comes to him and in verse 21 Peter has a question he says that Peter came to Jesus and he asked Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times so Peter's coming to Jesus saying look you know you did this teaching but but how many times do I really need to forgive my brother up to seven times now Peter was being very generous when he said seven times because because the rabbis had taught the people that since God only forgave three times and they reference back to Amos chapter one and and in in Job chapter 33 since since God only forgives three times that it's only realistic that we as human beings only forgive three times. So when Peter came to Jesus, he was being rather generous. He doubled the amount of times that, that, he, that they were legally bound to forgive someone. So he says, do I need to forgive him seven times? And so Jesus says, Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or 70 times 7, your Bible may read. What Jesus was saying is, look, Peter, forgiveness has no limits. You forgive as often as is necessary. And there are no limits on how often, Peter, that you should forgive. So Jesus goes on to, to tell a parable. To make his point. And if you would, beginning in verse 22 23 Jesus said therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began to to make settlement a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt the servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He said, pay me back what you owe me. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. He said, "You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as I had on you?" In anger, his master turned to him, turned him over to the jailer to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Now, this is a tough parable. You know, the king, king's servant owed 10,000 talents. Now, this king represents God. It's a picture of God as the righteous judge. He is the one who will settle accounts. The servant represents believers. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable in response to Peter's question about how to treat a brother in the church. And the debt is the debt that we owe as believers. The the debt that we were forgiven of. So this servant, he owed an unpayable debt. In fact, some people say that if you calculate the amount of years that he would have had to work to repay it, it would have been 150,000 years that he would have had to work to pay back this 10,000 talents. You see, the 10,000 talents of debt, they represent what we owe before God and, and no person has the means to pay. The 10,000 towns represented an unaccountable amount of money. In fact, that word 10,000 in the Greek, that was the largest word that could be used in the Greek language to describe a number, 10,000. It was used to express a countless incalculable number. So this servant owed an unpayable amount of money. Just like we owe a debt that we cannot pay. And for the servant, his only hope was that the king would be gracious and forgive his debt. Notice the slave, it says, he threw himself down prostrated himself before the master and said, have patience with me, I will repay everything. Now this this servant knew that he didn't have the ability to repay. But he said, be patient and I will repay everything that I owe you. And, And the king's response was, as he saw the distress that this man was in, and it says, the king was filled with compassion. And it says, in his compassion, he released the servant and forgave his whole debt. He didn't just give him more time to repay it. He completely forgave all the debt. He owed nothing anymore. Those 10,000 talents, everything that he owed had been wiped away. His slate was wiped clean. And this king's mercy represents the mercy that God has on us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. In other words, when we owed more than we could ever pay back, Christ died for us to pay for our debt. He has forgiven our debt because of his love and mercy that he has. You see, all of us have sinned. All of us owe a debt that we cannot pay. And The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So every one of us at one point owed a debt that we could never pay back. But in our hopelessness, We must, like this servant did, come before God and repent of our sinfulness and recognize the bankrupt state that we live in. And I beg, when we come before the Father, we have to beg him to forgive us. Because once I understand my complete wretchedness and my lostness, That's the only thing I have left to do. I think sometimes, especially those people, those of us that grew up in the church, we don't understand our bankrupt state. You know, we don't understand how wretched we really are, how much we really owe. The fact that we can never repay, we can never pay for our debt. All of us owe the same amount. But we have a loving, caring father who will listen. And he's very ready and willing out of pure compassion to forgive our sins for those who humble themselves before him. In Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12, it says, for his unfailing love towards us who fear him is as great as the heights of the heavens are above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's how much this heavenly father loves us. And he will completely remove this this debt that we owe from us if we simply ask. And that's all that this servant did was he asked to have the the, the debt removed, although he thought he would repay. We can never repay it. So there was this great debt that this servant owed. He came to the king to, to, to plead his case. The king's response was one of love and mercy and forgiving of that debt. But then in this parable it goes on, you know, there's responsibility of those of us that have been re- forgiven. When I have been forgiven, I have a great responsibility. And sometimes we think that once we've been forgiven, once we have asked Jesus Christ to come in and to cleanse us, to become our Savior, that's the end of the story. I go on living my life the way that I've always lived it, and nothing has to change. But with salvation comes responsibility. And that's what Jesus is teaching us here today. You know, Peter's question wasn't whether or not he was forgiven. It was, what do I do? How often do I have to forgive? Now, forgiveness of our sins is a major message that Christ came to share. But his forgiveness of us is the beginning of this journey that I have with him. See, the parable then moves on to another scene from the point of, of the servant being forgiven and released to where he now goes out. It says, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He said, be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. And he said, instead, he had the man thrown into prison. How soon he forgot that he had just had a debt forgiven and so he's out looking for people that owed him now the second servant he owed a debt he owed this man a hundred denarii about a hundred days worth of labor that he owed him that's reality but it was a debt that he owed and this first servant had the right to legally collect this debt That was justice. But he chose to demand his legal rights and not forgive, not express mercy to this other servant. The king expected this first servant to be merciful just as he had been merciful. You know, God's forgiveness of a person must be reflected In the person's forgiveness of others. In other words, when I have been forgiven, that should be reflected to the people around me that I should have a forgiving spirit as well. I should be willing to forgive 70 times seven. You know, this this first servant, his debt was about 600,000 times greater than the one he demanded the payment from. You know, what he owed was gigantic compared to what this other servant owed. And you know, when you think about my life, the debt that I owe is gigantic. But when somebody sins against me, that's just a small thing. And I'm expected to forgive that person, to forgive their debt against me when I've been sinned against. But so often, we want people to pay that back. We want to hold that grudge over them. We want them to pay. We want to make them suffer. And so we're not willing to forgive. But the king, when he heard about this, because it says that that some of the servants saw what was happening and and, and they were really perplexed, they were were disturbed by what they saw happening. You know, and as I was looking at that, you know, that's sort of the way it is in the church. You know, when you hold a grudge against someone and you're not willing to forgive them, everybody is affected by it. When one person in this church holds a grudge against another person, we are all affected negatively by that unforgiveness. And a church can soon become paralyzed by unforgiveness and bitterness that festers within a body. So these servants went to the king and they said, King, check this out. This guy that you just forgave, these 10,000 talents, well, he went out and he demanded 100 denarii of this other guy. And that just doesn't seem right. And the king, he was ticked. And he brought the servant back in. And in verse 30 he says, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because... You entreated me, should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave? Even as I had mercy on you, I forgave you. Shouldn't you forgive him? See, the king had a right to collect the debt of the first servant, but he chose to show mercy. And he expects the same from his servant. The servant should have been merciful just as we should be merciful to those around us. You see, as Christians, as believers who have experienced God's forgiveness, we must find an appropriate response in our lives in the relationships with people who have offended us. Because, let's face it, people are going to hurt you. People are going to offend you. And some of you have been deeply hurt by someone. And yet, what Jesus is teaching us here is it doesn't matter how much we've been hurt. We have a responsibility as people who have received forgiveness from our Heavenly Father to extend forgiveness to those around us. And yet, oftentimes, we're not willing You see, the privilege of being forgiven brings with it a serious responsibility. What Jesus is teaching us here is you can't detach acceptance of God's mercy from your own behavior. It has to reflect. Christ's love in us has to be reflected to those around us and too often we don't see that because we have our rights, we demand our rights. Paul tells us in Philippians to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And part of working out our salvation is this whole thing of forgiveness. God has forgiven you, Now, now you go and forgive those around, you go and forgive others. That's working out your salvation. That's the sanctification process. God loved you. Now you go out and you love others. Sometimes the people that we're called to love are, are messy. You know, they cause us stress and, and, and it's uncomfortable. And it seems unfair. And yet Jesus tells Peter when he asks, how many times do I forgive my brother?" He says, as often as it is necessary, God has been gracious to you, now you be gracious to others. See, the responsibility that we have, that we having been forgiven, will treat others in the same way. So God is expecting of us that, that, that we who have received forgiveness will treat others just the way he's treated us. In Luke chapter 6, verse 32, this is what Jesus said. He says, If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are are good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those From whom you expect repayment, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting full payment. But, he says, love your enemies. Do good to them and lend them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? That I'm to be merciful the way that God is merciful? And he says, do not judge in verse 37, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgiven, you will be forgiven. Ouch. Given, it will be given to you. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. So it seems to be saying there that th- to the amount of extent of forgiveness that you give is how much you will receive. And I'm, called, I'm called to love my enemies and, and, and to care for them and, and to do good things to them. That makes me Uncomfortable. To think that I have to forgive people that, that have wronged me. that People that really owe me something. And, and God wants me to just, just, to, just to, to forgive that debt. Does that feel good to you? Because you see, my flesh wants to say, if you've done something to me, I'm going to get you back. You make me look bad. Trust me, I'm gonna make you look bad. You heard me. You know this old thing. I don't get mad. I get even. And we laugh about it. We just, but but that's not what is expected of a believer, of a Christ follower, of one whose sins, whose debt, has been forgiven. And here, here's where it gets really uncomfortable in this, this whole parable is there are consequences to unforgiveness. There are consequences. Look at it. It says, and the, Lord, and, and the Lord, the king moved with anger, handed him over to the torture until he should repay all that he owed him. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. Do you catch that? This this servant was handed over to the torture because he wasn't willing to forgive. There were consequences to his unforgiveness. What do I make of that? See, this king filled with anger decided to put the debt of 10,000 talents back onto the shoulders of this servant. That's what it says. That's not what I'm saying. That's my, not my interpretation. That's what Jesus said. He handed him over to the torturer until the debt would be fully paid. And given the enormity of this debt, 150,000 years of labor, he was never going to pay it back. What this servant had done to the one that owed him, the king now did back to him. Expected the debt. Expected justice. He he inflicted justice. You know, James 2.13 says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So the person who is not merciful can expect to receive mercy at the judgment. And so see how this this parable gets really uncomfortable and and it gets really hard to explain and and lots of scholars disagree on, on what this really means. And some scholars believe that This unmerciful servant; his sins had been forgiven, but because he was unwilling to forgive, that was taken back, and he faced the judgment. In other words, he lost his salvation. Some would say, well, no, he didn't lose his salvation. He just, he never understood salvation. He never received it because he, was, he thought he would pay it back. He never had salvation. He had never been saved. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. And scholars have, have argued for thousands of years as to, to whether you're eternally secure or not. Now some would would argue that no, it's not that it's not a salvation issue. It's just that when I live a life of unforgiveness after I've accepted Christ, that torture that, that is talked about here, when he was handed over to be tortured, is talking about how when we live in unforgiveness, we are in our own prison. It puts us in a prison, and that's where we live, in a prison of misery for all of our lives. So I've wrestled with this. I'll be honest. I've wrestled with with the meaning of this. But what, what my conclusion is, and this may sound politically correct, is that, you know, no matter what you believe here, unforgiveness is a very critical thing. Unforgiveness is a serious sin that could cost you your salvation, or it could just cause you to live a life of misery and unfulfillment. And honestly, I see that in people. I see people that, 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 that call themselves Christ followers who are living a miserable life because of unforgiveness, because of something that somebody has done to them in the past and they've never been able to let go of it. And they're in this prison of unforgiveness. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love... Because he first loved us. And he goes and says, anyone, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For if anyone does not love his brother who he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. He has given us this command, whoever loves God must, must love his brother. There's no options there. There's no wiggle room there. There's no way out of that. If I say I love God, I must love my brother. Whoever loves God must love his brother. So I want you to wrestle with that. What does unforgiveness mean? What are the consequences of unforgiveness? Do I want to, because of unforgiveness, sacrifice my salvation? Do I, because of unforgiveness, want to sacrifice a joyful Christian life? It's not worth living a life of unforgiveness. And I'm sure that for some of you, that is not an easy thing. Because of, of the severity, that the, the, the depth of the hurt that you've experienced. But scripture over and over commands us as believers to forgive those who have trespassed against us. Who have sinned against us. And it requires the power of the Holy Spirit within us to forgive you see, I can't do forgiveness on my own. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And, and harboring a resentment and holding grudges is, is desires of the sinful nature. It says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to sinful nature, they are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want, but you are led by the Spirit. So it takes an act of God for us to extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. In Galatians 5, verse 22 and on it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are, these are things that when we're filled with the Spirit, when we receive the forgiveness and, and the love of Jesus Christ, that this is, this is who we become. He says, Those who have belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So my prayer for us today here is that we would be able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to extend forgiveness to those who have, who have hurt us, those who owe us a debt, that we would be willing to release that debt. Let them go free so that we can be free. Stand with me. Father, this morning as we come before you and we wrestle with, with this parable that you spoke, Lord, I pray that we would not be like the unmerciful servant. We who have experienced such great freedom from the debt that we owed that we would extend freedom of debt to those who owe us, who have offended us. Lord, that we would not forfeit or jeopardize our salvation through unforgiveness. That we would not live lives of misery because of unforgiveness. That we wouldn't live lives that seem torturous because of unforgiveness. But we would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, be able and willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. That you would free us from those bondages and, Lord, we would reflect you we would reflect your love and your forgiveness to those around us which in turn will bring you honor and glory so now father as we walk out of these doors and we go back into the places where we're reminded of those who we hold debts against that by your spirit you would give us the power to love them to forgive them, to to caring and loving them. It is in the name of the one who died for us that we pray this morning. Amen.